I don't I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all, so that for me is enough. Hi everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. This is number 118, which is roughly the number of accounts I've blocked on Twitter. Fun <laughs> fact, no, that's, I'm just kidding. I've blocked way more than that. Oh my God. <laughs> Jonathan, welcome back to Toronto. Thank you, we are both, we are reunited again. And it feels so good. Does it? <laughs> it I absolutely does. I am so happy to be back home. <laughs> The day before I left, I was there Saturday to Thursday. Wednesday, walking around the grounds, is like, well, damn, I, I, I miss him. Who? You. Vince? And then Thursday, I was like, well, I don't really want to leave. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this sweetness, our readers are not going to be able, to, our listeners are not going to be able to tolerate just how sweet you are. <laughs> Saccharine. That's about as sweet as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we've survived so long. <laughs> so we're coming to you on a Davis Cup weekend. Uh, the women have been in Monterey and Charleston. Yes. I know you probably want to tie up some loose ends from your time in Charleston. I didn't get to be on the podcast, you know, live while mm -hmm. you were there. We didn't do any Skype sessions or anything. You didn't get so, to hear the bush birds calling oh, in Charleston. I know. I only heard it at the same time as everyone else. I didn't hear it in real time. It wasn't until I was editing the episode that I heard it after. It was, I have to say, it was very calming. Mm. It was soothing. Now, let's just debrief from your time in Charleston. This is your second time there. Mm -hmm. So you've been impressed there two years in a row. You like this tournament. It's a nice atmosphere. Anything different about this year? Anything that stuck out for you? Well, damn, this is the interview Jonathan part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what is the same in a sense, is the the carnage for the top seeds. Mm -hmm. they, much like last year, they all just kind of fell away in quick succession right. <laughs> this time around. And it gives me no pleasure in saying, but the, the tennis at this particular event was kind of dull. <laughs> do you think some of it has to do with the difficult turnaround? from slow American hard courts to a green clay? Most of the players said no when they were asked mm. about it. it uh, I mean, maybe it plays a factor. Or who am I to say? Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, this is a tournament that you get to see a few unusual names on the winner's list, such as Fanny Stoller. But she, <laughs> she came through qualifying last year, I believe as a lucky loser, and then beat Vaznina. And again, after her name not being anywhere on the tennis radar for the last year, she's back again, winning around in Charleston. Mm -hmm. We had Laura taking out Joe Conta this time, and I'm telling you, I was watching a good portion of that match. Joe didn't play poorly. Mm. Stoller was stellar in that match. <laughs> I I see I see what you did there. <laughs> Laura Siegemund was back from her ACL tear last year. Mm -hmm. She beat Venus in the first round in Charleston last year. And we know she's a phenom on clay. She's one of the few really clay specialists, if you can say, on the WTA tour. The other clay specialist is the champion, yeah, Kiki, Kiki Burtons, Burtons, who just French Open feels right? really at home on this surface. Yeah. Let me tell you, Sigamund tried it with Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> People know her. They get her they tricks do. now. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Okay. But in terms of any differences between this year and last year, there was no Williams, there was no Venus. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, far more detached from my fandom, which was nice. You know, it was, yeah. I was very much on edge last year, knowing that I had to go into All XSR and Venus Williams will be right there. Mm -hmm. This year on, it was still, it's not something that I, I doubt I'll ever not have nerves about doing. But once you get into it, then it's, it's really smooth sailing. It's the, the dread leading up to it, like, oh, my God. You know, right. the, the planning in terms of what you're going to be asking and not knowing the order of who's coming when and how the 
the tenor of the discussion. It's it's a bit of a discussion more so than a QA, mm. how it's gonna go and what mood the players are gonna be in, testing the waters a little bit. And uh, it it takes a little bit of time for me to get full throttle. Put right. it that way. And by right. the time you get fully comfortable, it's time to leave. Because I don't do this on a week to week basis, mm-hmm. right? I feel like if I were doing it like a three, four week stretch, like I'd be fired up and ready to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's still it's still a deer in the headlights kind of situation for me. <laughs> I uh... I was struck listening to a few of the clips that you sent me from the All Access Hours. Madison's, um, it felt different from last year's, because I think we had clips of her last year as well as this year. Mm -hmm. We both arrived independently at this, that she seemed a little more grown up. Her answers seemed a bit more real. I felt that there, in the past, there's been a real veneer, something holding her back. She can give really rote kind of uninteresting answers this time. And I th- I felt there was a big difference this year. Even her physical presence in the room felt more mature. Mm. I remember telling you last year, you were like, well, how was is, how is Madison? I was like, she was perfectly nice. She smiled, yeah. she she answered questions, and I, but it just didn't feel like there was an intent to really go beyond the surface of the questions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was... It was a little bit, you said rote, mm-hmm. was the word. I, I suppose that's that's a good way to describe it. But uh, the the one question that Madison answered that really brought that into focus for me was when she was asked about the state of the tours in terms of, do you think it would be a good thing if men's and women's tennis was housed under one umbrella organization? And she was pretty matter-of-fact in saying that uh, no. And the reason why it wouldn't be a good thing is because it would be bad for the WTA. Mm. And her way of phrasing it was she thinks that it would uh, benefit one tour more than the other in terms of one tour's interests would be served more than the other. Right. And I think she finished that by saying, and you can do the math as to which tour that would be. Uh-huh. Do you think it would be better, I'm sorry, if tennis were in company, you know, like had just like one organization that ran both men's and women's, like if they were combined? I think, I think the idea of it sounds great, but I think at the end of the day, if there's one organization looking out for both sides, I think it might lean more towards one direction, and I think everyone knows which direction that is. It's important to hear from players because you and I have been talking about, you know, one umbrella organization for all of tennis, men's and women's, a union that represents both tours, and uh, maybe that's not the best way to go. It can be a good way to go if we have people in charge who are going to rein these boys in. Yes. Who are going to make sure that the interests of both tours are served equally. Because something that I learned from being on site this week and talking to various people is there are so many minute and small ways in which the WTA and WTA players are, are disadvantaged. Be it so many women being asked about you know, are you happy to be at a women's only event this week coming off of back-to-back Indian Wells, Miami joint events? And they were like, yeah, it's so much more relaxed. And one of the reasons why it's so much more relaxed, a simple thing, is that they don't have to fight for practice courts. And it's not just because, yeah, it's not just because, well, there's just so many players and so few practice courts. If you have your ears to the ground, you will know. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will hear and see that it has to do with the powers that be privileging the men and practice courts over the women. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because that's actually something that Jamie Murray has complained about for doubles players. Mm-hmm. So imagine what it's like for women's doubles players. And so one of the things that I came away with was we can sit here and, and Monday morning quarterback what's wrong with the WTA and what are the things that they're doing wrong But I do believe that there are so many built-in disadvantages 
to the tour and the woman from the jump that we mm. don't we're not even privy to. And so I it's a you're fighting against against the grain. The the entire existence of the WTA tour, sadly, after how historic and brave its inception was, is now fighting an uphill battle to get their piece of the pie against the men who have everything handed to them. I think it's interesting that now we have a a feature film, a mainstream movie that is about, in part, the birth of the WTA. The story is becoming more widespread. People understand it. And the danger in that is that people tend to think that the fight is won, that it's over. And it it goes hand-in-hand with movies about civil rights, about gay rights. When these things become mainstream, a lot of us believe, well, I guess we've accomplished what we what we needed to. But you don't see that these battles are being fought on a small scale every single day. Let's move on to Naomi Osaka. She's coming off the win at Indian Wells. She... The, the win against Serena Williams in Miami, uh, yeah. right after that. <laughs> uh, so a lot has been happening for her in a very short time. People have been saying that her career has been reborn, that this is something that's going to change her whole life. And we well, we heard it in her press that she was a bit resistant to that narrative. I think she senses the the pressure mounting. <laughs> you know, the, the sports press the looking at her as the next big thing. And so we saw a, a very illuminating and personal press conference with her after she lost in Charleston. She's definitely pushed back against suggestions that it was a life-changing win in Indian Wells. Whether or not that's her way of pushing back against expectations and lessening those expectations, I don't know. My read on Naomi is that she's still at a point in her career where she's able to be vulnerable with the press. And the part that I appreciate most about her in doing so is that it's being vulnerable about herself, her own opinions, her own feelings, her own game. She's not out here spouting off recklessly, throwing a whole bunch of people under the bus just for shits and giggles or for sport. Mm -hmm. Right? You ask her a question, you're going to get the awkwardness that folks have been talking about for a long time. You heard it on our podcast from a year ago, (laughs) our interview with her in Charleston. She's a lot more mature since then, frankly. She's Mm -hmm. a lot more comfortable in press. But what you're going to get from her still is a willingness to engage with your questions and the specifics of it. For example, I asked her in that match against Zygeman that I referenced before. Naomi was going through some things on court. She clearly felt that she was, frankly, frustrated by a lot of Laura's play, which she admitted to in in press. Mm -hmm. And I followed up with her in press after somebody asked her about those frustrations and she copped to being frustrated. I said, well, at the end of that second set, there was a point where Sigamund questioned two ball marks in one point. So Naomi served... And frankly, the ball looked touch and go from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And then the point was won with a Naomi winner and Sigamund felt that was questionable as well. So after that point ended, she went and checked the baseline mark and then she went to go check the service ball mark as well, which is neither here nor there. Because because she could have stopped the point. Yeah, that's a totally moot point at at this juncture. And then after that, she goes and takes a walk around at the back of the court. Meanwhile, Naomi is there ready to serve. Mm-hmm. And she's looking as much as Naomi can look visibly frustrated with an opponent in a match. She was easy to read in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked her specifically about that in press. I said, was part of your frustrations to do with her checking those ball marks and taking so much time in that point? Because the very next point, you went and took a walk at the back of your side of the court as well and made her wait <laughs> before mm-hmm. coming to serve again, which is not something that she does. She's, she plays pretty quickly. She does. And she admitted it right, right to my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so refreshing. <laughs> she said, you know, I, I have to admit I was salty. That's why I did yeah. that. But she, 
She also refused. She didn't go there. No, she know? she was like, baited many times by other reporters mm-hmm. in that room to go in on Sigamund. Right. Specifically, what is it that she does that frustrates you? Which is a fair question, but also you know, it's a it's a kind of a bait question. It's as something well. that could have snowballed into something more deleterious for Naomi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's not. It's cute until it's not a good look mm-hmm. when you're able to be that forthright and honest with your with your your answers. One of the things that I was most impressed with Naomi is her self-awareness and the awareness to not be baited into those situations. Yeah. I think it's the difference between an Ostapenko and an Osaka that there was a point where Ostapenko would say whatever she wanted and a lot of times that was mean and i think that she has also grown up a little bit the thing with naomi is that she's not she's not completely unfiltered because she didn't go there no you know she's a little bit older now like you said she's very self-aware she understands how she's being perceived i think i want to resist infantilizing her too much because i think there's a there is a segment of the social media thing that sees her as kind of twee, as precious. And the truth is she's a grown woman and we have to treat her as such. Mm -hmm. But my point in, to go back to what I was saying, my talking about her resisting talking about Sigamund is within the larger point of she's still unfiltered. You said she's a little bit, she's not totally unfiltered. Mm. She's mostly still unfiltered when it comes to talking about herself and her game. Right. But she's not when it comes to other players, which is totally fine. And I don't see that as a a negative. Mm-hmm. I see it as wise and and good good spirited. Yeah. <laughs> and being a decent person. Or maybe that is her unfiltered and she's just not an unkind person. Yeah. That her her knee jerk reaction would not be yeah. to go after an opponent. But you ask her anything about herself and she's by and large willing to engage with it. Mm-hmm. In ways that you did not expect would happen. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to talk about with respect to Naomi is the vulnerability that we saw from her when she lost. She was in tears at certain points. She was incredibly disappointed. I was traveling while she lost, right? So I wasn't there, but I still had access to the press transcript and I watched the, the video of it afterward. I wasn't surprised that she lost. The day before when she was in press, she seemed a little bit tired. She admitted to being a little bit tired mentally, emotionally, physically, or whatever. But she was still, according to her, most frustrated with the fact that she lost because I think her words were, I'm just really sad. Unprompted. Mm -hmm. She just said, I'm just really sad that I lost. And then she also talked about waking up that day and feeling different not being able to really explain it maybe being a little bit depressed you know these are new experiences for her this is coming off winning the biggest tournament of your life and then having to come back and beat serena williams which is a whole standalone monumental achievement in your career idolizing this person and then you're here on a different surface in charleston trying to to grapple and get a hold of this idea that you're not good on clay you know, trying to mm. rebut that, trying to figure that out within yourself. If, well, hey, am I good on clay? I don't know yet. I'm still young. I haven't played that much. And you win a couple matches, you may be feeling better about it. And you get into this match where you have your chances. And while you might not be playing and feeling your best, well, damn, I still wanted to win. And she's able to still, in those moments of, of great disappointment, give us more of herself. And what I want... And I hope for Naomi is that I have this hashtag here, I hope you dance, that Leanne Womack song, which mm-hmm. one of the lines is, <laughs> I hope you never lose that sense of wonder. You know, I, that's what I really hope for Naomi. There, she's at a, to my mind, a crucial point in her career where she could become jaded by this whole process, by putting herself out there and then having it be taken and used in really harmful ways to her by press, by fans, by people on Twitter. I'm seeing quite a bit on Twitter now, people are saying, oh, I'm already tired of her shtick. Mm-hmm. Thinking that... Oh, thinking that she's whining. 
No, that, that her oh, awkwardness is a put on mm. or that it's a bit much. It's like not normal. Like what is she, like I'm tired of hearing about how awesome she is because of so and so. And so the the heightened exposure that she has now is getting toward the top of the game. What we knew about her a year or two ago as being awkward and we're celebrating like in our small little bubble on this show and like yeah. her, amongst her fans. Now people are being exposed to that in large volume. And you know how people are? Yes. The more somebody's presented as good in a certain way, these I quote unquote bad minded <laughs> <laughs> contrary people are gonna be like, Well, if you don't like her, that's fine. But the natural response in situations like this, and I say natural in air quotes, is to push back against it because it's a bit too much. Mm-hmm. You know, like don't hold that against her. Let's not let's not get to a point where Naomi feels like she has to go back in her shell because of people acting a fool out here for no good reason. Also, if you're told that somebody is real and authentic enough times, the public at large loves to to break that down. The backlash is just very interesting to us as a culture you're seeing it this is certainly not the same situation but you see it with jennifer lawrence now because absolutely she was no it's not it's not (laughs) but she was an absolute superstar like force of nature you could not read a bad word about her for a few years there right because she was so real and i don't necessarily think that was I mean, that was movie star real. That was, was uh, an image. That was like a performance a, yeah. that was effective for a short time. Yes. And now people are, I mean, absolutely in euphoria, tearing her down, right? Like it, yeah. everybody hates her now. And so I hope that tennis is not so mainstream that that happens to our stars. I think Naomi is an entirely different person. And the persona that she's given off is largely her but i hope that doesn't happen to her yeah well tennis is not that mainstream unless she goes and wins a couple slams that's not going to happen to her i'm talking about people who should know better on tennis twitter yes and related this week i you know you saw a little bit of oh she should just buck up toughen up stop complaining you got money you just want indian wells wah 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 and to me it's like what like who are you are you somebody who've nev- who's never felt sad in your entire life? Like, leave her alone. Just let her be her. Chill, like, chill out. How many, ta- how many days a week do you wake up ready to get at it in whatever it is that you have to do? Like, the, the older you get, the more every day is a struggle. Let alone when you have to be a top yes. athlete. It's, so, I, I wish her the best. I think related to this... I'm taking my reporter hat off, and personally, I I don't know that I, while as a reporter and a commentator, and or as a journalist, you want players to give unfiltered, fascinating answers that, that strike a chord, but players do emotional labor. Being in the press room, doing the all-access hours, doing the videos, that is all labor too. That has value. Yes. It takes energy. And part of me wants someone like Naomi or any player to think about preserving a part of themselves, to protect themselves. So if she does become more closed off, I'm not going to be upset. I'm going to think maybe that is a, that's a self-care routine, mm-hmm. giving less of yourself to protect, just protect that part of yourself from the public. And while we still have that, we should appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Now, I can say definitively, this is an ongoing project for us. That whole business of finding a fave after or current crop of mid-30s faves retire. <laughs> Naomi's right near the top of my list. Yeah, me and mine too. So you, you've got one. I we can, finally we can, have one. We can declare now in episode 118 <laughs> that we've gotten a new young fave for James. Yeah. Okay. So to put this final wrap on Charleston, let's talk about the results. Your champion is Kiki Burtons. Because of weather on Saturday, the only play singles-wise that we got was Gerges and Sevastova. They played to four all in the first set. Mm-hmm. And so they had to come back and play both semis and then the final on Sunday. 
And uh, first up was Madison Keys and Kiki Burton's. Madison, oh boy, Madison lost the first set, came back, won the second in a tiebreak, held too much points in the third set before Burton's eventually was able to get the job done. And we'd seen multiple reports all week that Kiki, toward the end of the tournament, was nursing some kind of niggle. She wasn't necessarily at full strength, but boy, you would never know that by that final result, beating Yulia Gerges 6-2-6-1. Right. She actually, Burton's suffered a hip injury on Thursday, and it looked pretty painful, but she came back and played two matches today, one of them a long one against Madison, 7-6 in the third. She should have been the, the player who was hurting, uh, but she did have more rest today even though she played a longer match. Gerges played a tight two-setter against Sevastova and came out and only won three games in the final, unfortunately. It's just not ideal preparation at all for, for a title match. Bottom line, a good result for Madison. She talked ad nauseum at length whenever anybody would listen about how much she loves Charleston. She said in her on-court interview after one win that when she's making her schedule at the start of the year, Charleston is the first tournament that she puts at the top of her list that she must play. And Clay is, she made the final of Rome, mm-hmm. lost to Serena. So it's not that uh, that she's totally unaccomplished on the surface. Green clay is a bit different than red clay. Something I heard a lot all week is that all clay is different. <laughs> <laughs> you play three red clay tournaments in a row, all three will play differently. Mm. And... So that's something for her to hang her hat on going forward. Yeah, I'm hoping that she moves past the sarcastic comments about Clay and about 45-shot rallies. Like, I'm tired of it, to be honest. It's one part of Madison's shtick that I don't find cute at all. It's like, yeah, Clay is one of the important surfaces in tennis. Get over it. Well, she gets asked that a lot. She does. And it's asked in that kind of glib, flippant way, too. Right. It's, I mean, she's kind of giving back what she gets. Not in a mean-spirited okay, way. fair enough. I mean, this is one of the things where it reads worse than it really is, I think, <laughs> from having been there this okay. week. Okay. The other event that happened on the WTA this week, Garbinia Muguruza just won the Monterey title, a hardcourt event. She beat Tamea Babos in the final, coming back from a set down to win in three sets. It's a tournament that you would expect her to win on paper, so she did it. <laughs> and, you know, why not play on hard court in April in Mexico? Why not collect that, that check? Uh, you yeah. know, secure the uh, bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Alizé Cornet was in Charleston this week. Uh-huh. She made the quarterfinals. She is embroiled in an anti-doping controversy. Yes. She announced it in January. She confessed, if you will. She was cited because she missed three visits from a doping control officer in 2017. Now, I, how this works is that the top 60 men and women in tennis and the top 10 doubles players... 60, 60. Yes, okay. 60. They're in what's called the registered testing pool. And each of these players has to submit their whereabouts for every single day of the year if you're in the registered testing pool. Now, players outside of the pool are also subject to out-of-competition testing, but these 60 players have to submit their whereabouts every day. So Alizé has been in this pool many times before, I imagine. She's been in the top 60 for years, but she was not where she said she was going to be three times. And this is a big deal for WADA and the ITF. So, Which is to say, you could be in Charleston and you lose early. You're like, well, you know what? I'm going to fly to Atlanta. I've always wanted to go check out Atlanta. <laughs> I hear it's happening. It's fly. The gay nightlife is <laughs> yep. on point. I've been looking at Buckhead on Real Housewives of Atlanta right. for all these years, and I just want to see it in person. I'm going to go visit Porsche. I'm going to go hang <laughs> nobody, out. Nobody would ever I'm say I'm going to hang out with Phaedra Parks, get some legal advice. <laughs> You can't do that because... No, you cannot. You, unless you then go tell uh, WADA where you're going to be at the last minute. Correct. It, it, it cramps your style as a human being, frankly. 
It it does feel it sure to does. me very invasive. But it is it's just one of the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. It's part of the job. And what makes it top sixty as opposed to top seventy five? <laughs> you know, uh, I guess that's you know, kind of this is it's kind of arbitrary. You have to cut it off at some point, uh-huh. right? Just from an administrative point of yeah. view. She said that in in a previous year she had missed two out of three visits, which then didn't flag her to be cited because okay. you have to miss three in one year, right? Mm-hmm. But last year she missed three. She claims that she had valid reasons for each. That she submitted those reasons. That they didn't want to hear it. And now she has a hearing schedule. It was postponed till May 1st. So as of right now, she's still playing. Uh, I <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen after this hearing, but we've been through this so many times before, right? And I don't know where I stand. Like, there is always a story. Whether the person is guilty or not, there's always some kind of sometimes credible, sometimes not credible story. We got Tortellini. We got I'm Afraid of Needles. We got... I was taking a glucose pill we got by accident. We got Pamela. We got cocaine in pockets. We got, like, anything you can think of. This is a step removed from that, though. It is. This is not the same thing. She did not test positive she for anything, not. but she missed three drop-ins. And every time I've heard or seen a player talk about this or being asked about this, by and large, they all understand how this could happen Mm -hmm. with respect to the three missed visits because stuff happens you say you're gonna be here and well that day i'm flying to so and so but i didn't quite factor in the time difference and so you miss it by a couple hours and that's a strike right to say that there's always something it's not the same in this instance as it is that when you test positive they're they're quite feasibly always something to the point where you miss three visits in the span of one year because a tennis player is traveling all over the globe and your plans change all the time based on when you win when you lose and in the moments of winning and being euphoric and celebrating a win or being totally gutted by a loss perhaps your decision making is not the most rational in those moments Mm -hmm. Like, say, for example, I'm Naomi and I'm so despondent and sad that I lost this week. And I said I'm going to be so-and-so and I totally forget and I go somewhere else to take care of my own emotional well-being in that moment. Not thinking what the ramifications are. Okay. Or if you lose early in a tournament you had scheduled and jet off to go play a challenger. Yeah. Which is feasible if you're in the top 60. You can still do that. Or I'm going to take this opportunity to go spend some time with my man or something. <laughs> you know, right, like right. you have an extra couple of days. Well, maybe I can go have a couple of days of R and R, hang okay. out with my girlfriends or something. I'm just saying, I think we have to look at it with a dose of skepticism, but also some understanding. For me, could it's, there be some? There could be some bureaucratic screw ups too, right? Yeah, as there have been in the past with Wada. Well, this is the thing: the onus is never on Wada's reputation is not on Wikipedia. Right. There's no whole paragraph on Wada's reputation on Wikipedia. The way it is when, oh, 2017 to 2018, Alizé Cornet was embroiled in this doping <laughs> right. scandal that we don't really know what the true story is because there's just so much uncertainty. Like, do we just trust Wada on its face? Yeah. Because that's what they do. The onus is always on the player, and they're the ones who have to suffer the consequences in the court of public opinion which can be far more detrimental to their well-being and careers than the actual court for arbitration of sport, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, it's more a 20% dose of skepticism and 80% like, well, mm, in this specific instance with the three visits. Right. And I think the more you look into what this entails is the more you're able to to take that position, <laughs> regardless of how you feel about a certain player. I know mm-hmm. a lot of folks out here don't like Cornet, <laughs> right. right? Davis Cup. So, Spain recovered somehow after Ferrer lost to Zverev, after the Lopez's inexplicably lost to Struff and Puets in the doubles. 
Rafa won both of his singles matches. What was quite impressive was him wiping the floor with Sasha Zverev. I would like to take some credit here in that you were like, I don't know if Rafa can do it. I'm like, Rafa is going to do it. (laughs) Okay. This is Rafa on red clay in Spain in Davis Cup, but he has been out of the game. He withdrew or retired from what, like seven or eight tournaments since last fall. We just didn't know what kind of shape he was going to be in. He played a very good match against Cole Schreiber in his first singles, but Zverev is is a, a whole other thing. That's one way of describing him. <laughs> <laughs> he is the defending champion of Rome. The the X factor here was Nadal's health. Obviously, yes. if he's injured or showing signs of injury, it's not the same player that Zverev would be playing otherwise. Right. Right. But assuming that Rafa is healthy, it's it's a huge neutralizing factor. The fact that Clay I'm talking about, the fact that Nadal hasn't played a competitive match since the Australian Open, and the fact that Zverev has had some good results. It's coming mm-hmm. off a final in Miami. That is mitigated by the red clay. Yes. And then some with a healthy Nadal. Even a, a 50% Nadal mm-hmm. is very, very difficult on the surface in this situation. What I was critical about at the time was that they chose to play for rare for both singles matches. Mm-hmm. And you could say I was proven wrong. I don't think I was. You were certainly <laughs> clapped back at. the As you all know, the Armada fandom is fierce and they will shut you down. Even if you're friends, they will shut your ass down. They are vicious, more vicious than Rina's army, I would argue. I don't know where... Well, they have no sense of loyalty. <laughs> that's true. That is true. That's I think is, that's the like, rub. The armada yeah. trumps everything. Right. Like, you could be out here... There is no critique they will hear. You could have <laughs> <laughs> armada receipts flying out of your ass, <laughs> you know? And your last misstep is what's going to be... Mm-hmm. On your tombstone. <laughs> Correct. So since I'm already in the doghouse with the Armada, no, but I'm you... just going to say, okay. Roberto Batista Ogut was chosen for this tie. He could have gone out against Cole Schreiber as, I mean, of course this is kind of moot because David Ferrer won in a long five-set match. It was well, exciting. He... Oh, in the, yes, in the, the last In one. the yeah, final yeah. rubber mm-hmm. is the hero of Davis Cup. But, you know, he's the hero after having lost the first singles match. He needed to redeem himself to get Spain to the next step. I'm just saying. I understand why they chose Ferrer, because he has a very good record against Cole Schreiber. Was it 10-3 and three or something yeah. like that? That Bautista lost a really bad match against Cam Norrie in the previous round of Great Britain that he shouldn't have lost. So I get it. I'm just saying. Ferrer has not played Cole Schreiber since 2015. That's three years ago. And Ferrer is like 40 years old. He's not the same player that he was. I don't know so where you are going. I will take your licks. I, you know, come at me. It's fine. I can handle it. I got attacked by Jersey Shore fans today. So, like, I'm pretty sure I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> but where were you going? I, I just It was it premature. It was such a rookie move. <laughs> Seriously. It's like that... The writing was on the wall. When I saw that tweet, I was like, Lord, let me go investigate and see what the quote tweets are, the replies. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a mess. Because mm. as much as I agree with you, like Ferrer has been on a steady decline in the last couple of years. <laughs> okay. No, last summer, not quite steady. He had a big uh, like uptick last summer. Okay. Ferrer, he, he's no, not the player that he's he was. He's not the Ferrer of yore. Correct. Put it that way. As much as that's the case, he has a huge fan base built in within the Armada because Rafa fans, they're not out here just supporting Rafa like some Serena fans are with just supporting Serena (laughs) and not Venus, right? You get Uh a whole lot of tangential support. That's true. With the Rafa family. They are loyal to España in general. In general. And... Ferrer is the grandfather at this point. Mm-hmm. Feliciano is the dilf. <laughs> right. But Ferrer is the, is, he's is the grandfather. Abuelito. You see, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Lord, like, I don't know how you did not see that coming. You know what? I was just in one of those moods all weekend. Messy. Moretti. 
But the, the thing that came out of this Davis Cup weekend for me is on the back of the proposed changes to the Davis Cup format. And we've said on our previous episode where we discussed it when it came out that we don't really have a horse in the race. Mm-hmm. We are not big Davis Davis Cup people. Like but, it's, it's never stirred us. But I, I don't need to see it change either. Mm-hmm. Like... Like I'm not, ho- I don't have a Jamaican Davis Cup team to support <laughs> on a large scale. Right. I assume there is one. Maybe uh, there's a Canadian Davis Cup team. I'm a transplant. Like I still don't have that affinity. Like maybe in a couple of years, when I'm five more years into being a citizen, and Felix is <laughs> maybe if Felix you know, was the superstar. Yeah, when right? Felix and Dennis are out there in the top ten, you know, snatching wigs. Mm. <laughs> then maybe I'll identify more with the Canadian Davis Cup team and have something to root for. But I don't have that kind of involvement. Mm-hmm. That, nor, like, nor do you with... Nationalistic Yeah, feeling. you do not have... Oh, I mean, out, I'm not out here for the Heartland team. It goes without saying. Right. And so we, 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 we saw both perspectives. But what was most interesting this go-around is the responses and the defenses of both perspectives mm-hmm. using various ties, be it the U.S. drubbing of Belgium or the high-stakes excitement of Spain, Germany, to make your point. Right. And I think what's interesting is now every Davis Cup weekend is a referendum. Like, you don't see a lot of just pure enjoyment because it's colored by the debate of whether Davis Cup should end, whether it should change dramatically. Everything is positioned in this debate rather than, wow, this is great. And let me tell you, Leighton Hewitt must have Google up Google alerts for Davis Cup (laughs) on his phone (laughs) because he has rightly or wrongly, depending on how you view this thing, he's got something to say and ready to go. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I don't know where I stand, but one thing that bothers me about the anti-Davis Cup crowd is I don't feel that their criticisms are evidence-based. I feel like it's, while this is boring, the only people who cause any sort of excitement around Davis Cup is top 10 players, and they never play, and I, I just don't feel like there is, there's a lot of data backing up those opinions. Mm-hmm. They are opinions, and it's fine. It's fine to have those opinions. But acknowledge that they're only that. And Rafa was used to make that case this weekend right. because he's a top 10 player. I read just now before coming to air, Rima Balil, she wrote about one of those things where these are some of the things we learned from watching Rafa play today. And one of it was, one of the things that she remarked on was one of the commentators during the tie said that this is like the first time since 2016 where we've had two top 10 players play each other in Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. And so that whole business of there being a lack of top talent, being interested to play Davis Cup or being willing to play Davis Cup is hurting Davis Cup. Again, where's the numbers for that? Mm -hmm. It also benefits from a lack of context. How many top players were injured during Mm -hmm. Davis Cup weekends? And how many top 10 players do we care about? Aside from the top five or six, right? Jack Sock was a top 10 player. Exactly. He could play all the Davis Cup ties. I still won't be watching. (laughs) It just... It, it makes me take pause when I see journalists advocate so strongly for something because I, I just don't feel that I need to see the evidence behind it. Anyway, Spain won 3-2, is moving on to play the defending champion France in France in September after the U.S. Open. Listen, forget what we all just said mm. because if the top players... Are there for that? If Joe is off his hospital bed, if his knee is in full working order. Oh my God, don't remind me. If Rafa is going to be playing that, if the teams are stacked, that tie is going to be lit. Yeah. I mean, that that's the marquee matchup in the in the next round. And then we have... Croatia. Mm-hmm. So Cilic won his two singles matches. Toric lost his one singles match, but it was fine because they already had three points. They defeated Kazakhstan. USA, uh, let's speed through this, beat Belgium, who was without Goffin. And uh, our friends Isner, Harrison, and Query all got singles wins, just to rub it in. (laughs) 
France beat Italy. Pui beat Seppi and Fognini in singles, and Mahu Herbert beat uh, Bolelli Fognini, who are like the perennial Italians doubles team. They're always there. Has this has this weekend's play changed anything in your mind as far as how you view the changes upcoming for Davis Cup? Because we've also gotten confirmation to so, not big surprise that Rafa with his buddy who is a, heading this this change. Gerard Piquet, that Rafa is in favor of these changes. Really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that somehow. Uh, it has a little bit. I'm a lot more cynical about the changes. I feel that tennis is dominated by corporate sponsors in so many areas. And this is just one more. This is just capitalism run amok in tennis. And uh, I don't know. I It's going to take a lot more convincing for me at this point. I am on the same trajectory as you with this mm. for a different reason in that I want people to to show me with concrete evidence that this is something that needs to be changed and that the changes, these drastic changes that are going to be made are worth the destruction of the more than a century of history mm-hmm. with this event. Like that's something that really great care should be taken before you set that aside. And I'm not I'm not quite sure that the the people involved like you said have any care in the world about that. And it's not just capital driven. Like it's seeing the the clamoring and the crying for a change from various parties beat the players, commentators, talking heads, journalists saying oh this needs to be fixed. I'm like, "Well, wow, that that is something that I can wiggle my way in and make some coins." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm more in the camp of, well, let's spread the Davis Cup year over two years. I think that, mm-hmm. that seems more viable to me at this point. The whole business of I getting people to watch it and more interested in it and having it being a contained one-week event defeats the purpose of Davis Cup, in a sense. Because Davis Cup is by definition, over the years, spread out. Right. And I think we talked about it on our previous episode that I think it skirts a lot of the issues with Davis Cup because those blank weeks are now going to be filled up with more tournaments. So many of the top players were asking for a reduced schedule. This has increased the schedule and added another event at the end of the year. In addition to Labor Cup, World Tour Finals, all these... this the endless hardcore tournaments in Asia. It's just another week. And I'm not confident that they can attract the top talent, which is what they want. We got a statement from Capital Tennis, who is in charge of the Washington Castles out of DC. Mm -hmm, Which is a world team tennis team. Yes. Regarding the drafting of Tennis Sangren to the Washington Castles team for this year's edition of World Team Tennis which you might recall is Billie Jean King's brainchild. Right. And so <laughs> when it was announced a few weeks back, I was like, well, well damn, this is interesting. <laughs> Let's see how this one plays out. <laughs> and seemingly out of nowhere, we get this statement from Capital... The, the, the handle on Twitter is at Capital Tennis DC. If you want to go check it out, we're also going to read you the statement. It says, good afternoon, with an exclamation mark. (laughs) Good afternoon. We've received a growing number of questions from concerned members and others within the LGBT community about our partnership with the Washington Castles and their decision to draft controversial ATP player Tennis Sandgren. As you may know, he drew widespread criticism for his alt-right tweets and interviews that came to light during this year's Australian Open. In collaboration with Team DC, we remain committed to to promoting equality and inclusiveness in sports, which includes providing social experiences to members that support this mission. We're in talks with the Castles and Team DC to discuss a path forward this season and we'll update our membership on those discussions as they occur. Now, (laughs) what in the hell does this mean? Did that come out of nowhere? It, it, I, I was not prepared. No. 
I will say the first thing I noticed is that they didn't hedge about the alt-right tweets. They didn't mm-hmm. say he was alleged to like or retweet tweets from the supposed, you know, all these politically correct words. Mm-hmm. They said for his alt-right tweets in those words, which I thought was something. Or tweets that may have been deemed offensive to other people. Right. But I'm not really sure what this means. I guess it means, does it mean they're reconsidering the choice? They didn't say that. No. They said they are in talks with the castles to discuss a path forward. That's the most commitment we got. I'm not sure what that means. Do you think that this is something that if the decision is taken to remove him from the team, that it would be justified? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure there have been objectionable choices in the past. Your question is a good one, but I feel that I'm in a place where I just, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Like I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with Tennis Sangren. I think that his day in the sun is over. And there are probably a lot better choices to play for the Washington Castles. That's it. Now, if if his transformation is sincere, if he shows real growth, like I don't really care about his personal growth. I'm just not that invested in it because I don't believe that we're going to see him as a consistent top player. So I don't I don't really know where I stand to be honest. We talked about this when the final thing we said on this issue with regards to Tennis Sandgren and the folks who are like, "Well, he said he's sorry, let's move on." Well, I don't know how long it will take for him to show that he's changed or for people to feel like they want to move on. That's something that's going to have to evolve with time and happen organically one way or the other, mm-hmm. yeah or nay. And I have been paying attention to him, his Twitter, what he's liking or whatnot. But perhaps there's going to be some kind of social outreach attached to his appearance with this. Maybe that's something that they're going to be talking about. We had said that maybe he goes and donates to the Trevor Project or a whole bunch of other different organizations that could show a a desire to really make amends. Right. Which I don't really see happening, but I do believe that people can grow and can change. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a, a blanket he is done for forever. Mm-hmm. But what is this... It's not for me. It's not enough to be just like, oh, we're selecting him because why are you selecting him other than the notoriety that he has gotten from this situation to then bring people to view and sit in your seats? Mm-hmm. It seems a little bit sketchy to me. And you know what? There are other American players that you could choose who don't invite that kind of scrutiny. They happen to be black. Yes, all of them. Fancy. Fancy that. N- <laughs> Michael Moe, Francis Tiafo, uh, Mackie McDonald, who is not black. Correct. Forgive me. Mm-hmm. But there are other exciting, up-and-coming male tennis players, if you need a male American tennis player, and who they, are not tennis sanguine. And they don't have to be American. And they also, well, it's true, but if you, if you want an American player, there are others who don't have that kind of baggage. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we will have to keep an eye on and see how that develops. That said, we're not really that invested. (laughs) (laughs) It just kind of came out of nowhere and it was like, okay, this is something we can talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to end this episode with a shout out. And then the last bit is going to be all you. Because you want (laughs) to talk about the live musical of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Which I did not, I've never seen. I don't have any frame of reference. You were telling me all these amazing things about it. <laughs> it was like, I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. I've never seen it. Like, okay, well, we'll get there. Yes. But shout out to Carol, who I met in Charleston. I was at the, I believe it was a Taylor Townsend Zigaman match. And that was that was something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was fun. And so I'm leaving, I'm, I think I'm just leaving the, the Althea Gibson club court. And somebody comes up to me and says, hi. I'm like, oh, oh. I'm not, I don't expect people to know me. I don't really talk to people in my regular life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> in your regular life? In my regular life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I thought I was just 
walking in Toronto at that. You know, like that was my mm-hmm. persona at the moment. Well, in, in Toronto, you would like avoid and walk the other direction. Yeah. Which most people would. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was such a pleasant surprise to have Carol come over and introduce herself and say, you know, I've been listening to the podcast for a little bit over a year and, you know, I really enjoyed and it's it's great to meet you. And I was like, well, you know what, Carol? It is great to meet you. Mm-hmm. And it was great to meet your kids and your mother. Uh, we took a picture. If you can somehow, Carol, if you're listening, I know you said that you're not on Twitter and you you demeaned yourself, frankly, by saying that you're just an old lady and that you're not on Twitter because you're an old lady. I did not meet an old lady that day. <laughs> <laughs> so one, get on Twitter so we can interact and be in touch. But if not, then email me, please, a pic- a copy of that picture. I'd like to have it. Uh, you can email that to thebodyserve at gmail.com. It never gets old, right? Like, it, it's crazy to me that, that people will approach us in person and know who we are. I never, getting into this, I never expected that to happen. No, it's still, no disrespect, Carol. It was still, like, very weird. Welcome, but in the best way. In the best way, yeah. welcome, but but very weird. <laughs> we legitimately think of ourselves as nobodies. Like, that's not a put on. <laughs> We're literally at our kitchen table right now, recording a podcast. Yeah, we sure are, and it's no small miracle that people out there listen to us. <laughs> so thank you, and still put up with us after all these years. I'm gonna finish with the things we like. We've we haven't done this in a while. Things we like, things we dislike, things you like. Mine's gonna be mostly like. First, first, let me tell you the story. Totally unrelated. I tweeted the other day about how I was only going to watch the Jersey Shore reunion if Angelina was there. Mm-hmm. Angelina. With her black garbage bags. Yes. That she hauled her ass out the first time. So, first of all, did you know Jersey Shore is coming back? Or it's I, back? I did not They're know They're doing that a family, it's called va- Family Vacation. They're somehow all younger than us, still. Like, how old are we? That they're younger than us. I have to say, like... You double-checked this? I did, except for Mike. Mike was old, like, yeah. 10 years Mike ago. Mike is, like, 36, which is not old, but he has lived a life. But he was 26 going on 50 10 years ago. <laughs> so, I'm bringing this up because I want you to know that Jersey Shore has stands that are just as vicious, if not more, than tennis dance. Because I tweeted this thing about, oh, I'm only watching Jersey Shore if Angelina comes back. Because she's hilarious. Like, she was the villain of the first two seasons, right? Mm. It was a mess. Angelina. Angelina. (laughs) So people came out of the woodwork to attack me, saying that Angelina is an affront to the Jersey Shore family. Did you you know? I... That there are people, there there is a fandom who considers themselves part of the Jersey Shore family. This is where our lives do not I mean, intersect. I could, I could not even believe it. So I told this woman, well, who asked you? I can't believe that you spend so much time with Jersey Shore still. I mean, it was mostly a joke when I tweeted. I'm like, who asked you? She came after... I like she came in my mentions talking about Angelina and how she's an evil, wicked person and then tagged her. Like, that is just rude. Is that why Angelina retweeted your original tweet? No, no, that happened before. Oh, yeah, by the way, famous, because Angelina (laughs) retweeted my tweet. But I was like, listen, Nancy, it's not that serious. Like, it really is not that serious. And if the Jersey Shore cast is part of your family, you need to, like, get your life together. Hmm. Lord. Anyway. Jesus Christ superstar. Jesus Christ, indeed. Things we, like... I have to share, I have to thank the few people on Tennis Twitter who experienced this with me because you were out of town, I was alone, and I rushed, I was driving home from Rochester, I rushed home. So much so that you did not even go and get my duty-free liquor because you were so intent on getting home in time to watch this. I was not expressly asked to do that, so I did. (laughs) How long have we been together now? (laughs) I just have to say, this was an incredible production. I... I fell in love with Jesus Christ Superstar when I was probably 12 or 13. And it was a very close group of friends in my neighborhood. We used to sing, we used to like act it out, sing along to it. 
It was a really specific time and place. So you have this was your version of Stranger Things. That was your crew for Jesus uh, Christ. Basically, Superstar. this was the squad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you used and, to make home home videos. Well, yeah. I've seen one. Yes. And nobody else will be seeing it. With that bowl cut that you were sporting back then. That I did not have the bowl cut at that time. <laughs> I had a much better haircut by then. And it, uh, you know how it's so hard to describe, like, when you feel like something is made just for you. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly it's not, but it speaks to you in such a personal way. Mariah's and, Butterfly album. Yes, I can relate. Right. Exactly. So when you relive it, it's kind of this exquisite pain. It's It's what nostalgia is it's painful euphoria basically um but i was just so impressed with the way they staged it with the actors the actor who played judas especially was just stunning so thank you for everyone who like lived that along with me because i was alone i bought the record when we were in florida a few weeks ago Uh uh-huh i'm partial to the movie soundtrack versus the original cast like the stage cast but i will take either Things we somewhat liked. Love, Simon. We watched oh, it last night. I very night. much liked it because I I put away my misgivings. Well, that's why I said somewhat. Because okay. there, there are still misgivings to be had. Mm-hmm. But the, the larger, big picture, wonderfulness of it remains. In that we're having a mainstream teen romantic gay comedy made. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. Like it's crazy. I cannot believe we have arrived at this point, where they're making a mid-budget mainstream film about gay love and about coming out. Gay teen love, the the exact <laughs> right? age where young gays are preyed upon and they get swayed into this life of depravity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know we're not that old. We're in our early thirties, barely. Very early 30s. But I assure you, young gays, there was a time for us where we felt like this would never happen. Mm -hmm. Like this did not seem realistic. You had to go find some short film somewhere. Right. (laughs) You know, Mm. or the extent of that forbidden gay love was Itumama Tambien with Gal Garcia Bernal and Diego Luna. You know, you you had to get it tangentially somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And... There are a lot of things that it did well, a lot of things that I did not like. But if I can sit through so many 6 out of 10s and feel like I got my money's worth, mm. then this is uh, a stone groove smash <laughs> wonder. I mean, how many mediocre romantic comedies for straight people have we seen? Yeah. In his, like hundreds. So we deserve ours. Do I wish that the the lead character was was less bland, was more complicated, was more had more like demonstratively gay sensibilities? And I don't mean like flaming or mm. like you know oh that oh he's obviously gay. I don't want to spoil it for people, but the the guy who we eventually realize is his pen pal, like throughout he just felt natural mm. to me in that role, whereas. The lead character, Nick Robinson, felt like he was a straight straight guy playing a gay guy, frankly, okay. throughout the whole thing for me, which is a little bit off-putting. We talked about personally how one of the things that the film did really well was most folks, when they are going through the, am I coming out of the closet? Am I staying in the closet? Like what? When you're navigating that fraught period, some of the roadkill is mm-hmm. the 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 women in our lives the the young teen girls who for some folks they you use them as props to be able to pass a straight you you hurt them emotionally a lot mm-hmm. i you, thought that was astute as part of the film because you do was. you do hurt people along the way yeah that's that's the one of the many dark sides of the closet mm-hmm. what i objected to was the means that they used to get there that whole contrived, concocted situation mm-hmm. to get the the main protagonist to treat those women badly. <laughs> yeah. That was a bit much for me. But by and large it was it was it was a solid effort and I'm glad I watched it. And I encourage folks to watch it too. With that, 
I think we're at the end of episode 118. Yeah, I don't even know what's next on the tennis schedule. I know there's... It's European clay, man. No, well, there's Houston next week. Oh, my God. Well, there's Houston, <laughs> Marrakech, and Bogota, I know for sure, next week. So I don't know if we'll be back in a week, per se, or maybe well, two weeks. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but for now, this concludes our Charleston coverage. Thank you for listening. Thank you for retweeting on Twitter. Thank you for interacting with us. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. And we are at the Body Serve on both Twitter and Instagram. We haven't bared our souls in a while to beg for an iTunes review, <laughs> but we'll do so this time. Please. It's one of the tangible ways that you can help us and grow the show. Head over to iTunes, no matter which country you are located in. We will see it. We'll find it. Mm -hmm. And let folks know what you enjoy about the show. Till next time.